Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to this episode 10 of This Spiritual Fix, where today we're going to be talking about soul mate compatibility, whether that's through your primary wound or your language of love or just your deal makers and deal breakers. Stay tuned. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Christina. Hi, Anna. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. Are you? Mm-hmm, I am. Your dog's going to fight. My dogs got in a fight. Um, I was stupid. Except, <sighs> except yourself. Except that it happened. You don't have to judge yourself yes. in any way. Okay, it happened. My yeah, and seeing the blood freaked me out. I'll be honest because I'm like, where's the blood coming from? Who got bit? Yeah, who needs to go to the vet or not go to the vet? And luckily. It was a surface. It was just a little cut on the nose of one of them. He's fine. I think it's important that people understand that, like, you should be accepting of your stuff. You know, like, you, you don't have to say that you were stupid. You don't have to say anything like that. Yeah. There's no reason to know that that situation was going to end up in something. I mean, you could say the same thing about my situation with my, I lost my sister's cat, my niece's cat, more, more worse. And because, she got out at the beginning of the day. She, we were supposed to be keeping her inside and she's like a super outdoor cat. We were keeping her inside for a week and a half and she had just been kind of unhappy and like not getting along with my cat. And we saw her outside, but I was in a rush. So I didn't help get her back inside. And so I left and then my husband tried to get her back inside and he dove for her and he dislocated his pinky and he had to go to the hospital. And then I was gone. And then he was at the hospital and then the cat ran away and literally it's been two and a half days and she hasn't come back. And so it's like, I can be like for days, I was just like, I'm such a terrible person. Like this could be, I went into the self-judgment state to make myself feel better and to like pay the guilt God demon thing. Right. Yeah, pay but the it, guilt God. <laughs> and, and then when I talked to my sister, she's just like, Christina, you know, that, that, that if that's what's meant to be, like, if, if she's meant to have another home, like she could come back. And if she doesn't, then she's just meant to have another home and she's meant to transition. Your sister's enlightened. 
<laughs> right? Seriously. And But that's the thing, right? Is that like, I feel like we often tend to punish ourselves when we think that other people think that we should be punished. It's an instinct that we have to say, right. well, you don't have to punish me because I've already punished myself by well, telling how stupid I am. Well, and doing I also, all this kind of stuff. I think also by saying I'm so dumb is because I did something. I let the dogs get together during mealtime, which is a big no-no. And I know that, but one dog wasn't eating. So I thought he didn't care. And then he apparently did care because they started fighting and, and I felt stupid. You know, it wasn't stupid. It was, I hated myself in that moment because I adore my dog. And then to see him in pain and bleeding and to think I'm responsible for that, it broke my heart. But then also, you know what? It wasn't my fault. It was the dog's fault Mm -hmm. in a way. Like they, or they were just acting on their nature, right? Everybody was just, everybody was just acting in the way that they knew how. Right. Right. And I thought he's not hungry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the point is, is that, you know, what's the take home deeper message about losing a cat and having your dog get beat up by the other dog is that, (sighs) is that nature happens and things happen. And if you try and punish yourself for things that you've done wrong to preempt somebody else punishing you, it's not loving and accepting in the way that we try to aspire to be. And it's also, there's a recognition that sometimes especially when you're mixing with mother nature and elementals and like animals and things like that. Like sometimes there's just a natural thing that happens. Yes. You can prevent it as much as possible, but it's really hard to control. Right. Right. So I know, I know that it makes you uncomfortable for me to bring it up. No, it's okay because (laughs) I just, I love that dog. I'd even loved this new cat, even though I only had her for a week and a half. How are you otherwise? Otherwise I'm good. I'm otherwise I'm feeling really good. Cool. Yeah. I am too. I am too. I've gone, I was just going to give a little update on my PMDD or PME kind of body betrayal stuff. Just real quick. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episodes, PMDD is premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, which is, let's say dysphoria is the opposite of euphoria. So um, PMDD is a severe form of PMS where they call it in the subreddit groups, werewolf week. Mm. It is just, um, it's like PMS squared. Yeah. It's just really, really hard, especially when you're a happy, sane person three months, three weeks out of the month. And then you have a week of like total despair. So that's what we're talking about. We talk yeah. about PMDD and PME is per- post or premenstrual exacerbation. exacerbation. So yeah. that means, so PME premenstrual exacerbation means if you have any underlying mental illness, say depression, bipolar, OCD. If you have any of those, then during PMS, they get exacerbated by the hormone drops. And so you might have say undiagnosed anxiety all month, but you don't really know about it. And then come PMS week, anxiety is full blown because that hormonal dip has pulled everything else up to the surface. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I think I have more of a PME, but I don't have anything diagnosed underneath. I would just think that like regularized low level anxiety and depression is just kind of what I've had, but really interesting. I think you've actually had this experience as well is that I recently, I think I said on the last one that like, I figured out that I was gluten, that, that I like stopped eating gluten and it made my anxiety go way down. I did a genetic test and found out that I had actually inherited non-celiac genetic sensitivity from both my parents. So it had, it was double because of, of that, but And then I stopped eating and then I found out that I was allergic to soy dairy and 
eggs, the exacerbation is significantly less. And didn't you find something interesting with the same thing with allergens for yourself? Yeah. So I found out that PMDD can be an allergic response to your own hormones. So instead of antidepressants, some women just take antihistamines during their PMS week to have a reduction, like complete reduction in symptoms. And I realized that my PMDD got so worse in the year 2020. Well, I thought maybe it was the stress of the pandemic that exacerbated my PMDD. But then I finally, after reading the histamine thing, I realized, no, I started getting allergy shots in 2020 because I have like really bad seasonal allergies. And for those who don't know, allergy shots just means you go to the doctor and they inject you with the actual allergen. And you have a histamine response, very low level until you cap out on your highest level. So I I capped out because I had a full-blown hives reaction. So they're like, okay, now we have to backtrack. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I finally made sense of it that my PMDD was always worse if it was on a Friday in the year 2020. And I always go to the allergist on Thursdays. And it was just like this light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my God, I was having a histamine response. So then what happened is I went to the allergist on Thursday, got my shots, and the very next morning I woke up depressed. Now, it was not PMDD week, so there was no reason like hormonally to be depressed, but I woke up in a funk being like, oh my God, I just hate my life right now. Like there was no good reason to say that. I'm like, like what the hell? I thought I'm going to play an experiment. I'm going to take a Benadryl and just see what happens. I took a Benadryl. 40 minutes later, I was perfectly fine. And so it was showing me that, yes, this is a like when there are allergens in my body, like when I'm overrun with allergens, it makes me like sad or angry. And in this case, it made me depressed. So it was just a huge revelation that histamines or allergens inside the body can really affect your mental status. And now I'm thinking, I need to do the test you did. And can you please link it in the soap notes or the Mm -hmm. show notes? I want to know like what I'm allergic to that I'm eating because if allergens can make you depressed, like what? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like, I can't tell you, I've, I've gone on like this massive, um, regimen of supplements and stuff like that too, because I've had an allergen response for so long that I like systemically malnourished, which is like crazy to hear. And actually it made me feel so much more validated about my hypochondria to like recognize all of the things that could result from being like having just some random ass stuff, like just like anemia, but also like anemia in a really random way to be anemic. Like you don't have the iron because like you have everything else in the cycle, but it just stops before the anemic cycle. And like, whatever, I'm not going to get into my medical history, but like, I can say that I feel so much better after cutting out all that stuff in my diet. Like, it's not even a question now. Like I, I, my mental health is so much more important than whatever craving I could possibly right. have. I don't even have the cravings. Right. I have a friend, she's in incredible shape. And I asked her like, you know, what is she, how does she think about food? Because I think how you think about food is more important than what you, what you eat. And she said, whenever I see something, I always say to myself, Nothing tastes as good as fit feels. I love that quote, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with mental health. Like nothing tastes as good as sanity. So with that point, I'm definitely taking that allergy test. I want to know what I'm eating that I shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. No, because it's it's a it's a real thing. And I think it's worth it. 
I'm not saying that everyone should go take allergen tests, but if you feel like you have low level anxiety and depression and it feels like it's kind of erratic and all over the place and you don't really know what's going on and some days it's worse and some days it's better. It could be histamines. It could be a histamine response. And I think it, and it's worth it because it has changed my life. And like I said, I, I don't even consider any of that stuff anymore. I mean, I think self-love is a huge part of eating well as well. Cause like the more, the more I've loved myself, the more I've just like come to accept and love myself, the more I'm just like, why would I eat anything that's bad right. for me? Nothing tastes as good as self-love. Yeah. Nothing tastes as good as self-love. So that's my PME, um, update. update. And I just want to let everybody know because it's a, I will continue to, uh, continue guys, let right. you guys know how much better I'm feeling and how much I don't feel so close to that line of like being sick. Like normally during my cycle before ovulation, I used to feel like I had the flu for like a day, nothing at all. Like didn't even consider it this time. Wow. So, um, fascinating. Yeah. And it makes sense. It, it, it makes sense. It does. It does. Cool. So what are we talking about today, Anna? So today we're going to talk about attracting your soulmate partner. So me and my friend called it our triple SMH, super sweet soulmate husband. We were on a quest to find our super sweet soulmate husband. We called it triple SMH. So when we texted each other, we'd have a three SMH like like discussing this potential future soulmate husband, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I know I'm cisgender and hetero, so it's a really biased thing here that I'm talking about it in this sense. So I want to know if I accidentally use the term husband, just replace it with partner in your mind. I'm not perfect at this, so forgive me. But but if I do say the word husband, I mean the ma- or more masculine person in the relationship. And if I am yeah. saying wife, I mean more feminine. So I just want to give that disclaimer because I want this to be available to anybody. Like this is not just for cisgender, hetero women. Yep. So what I'm going to talk about is when I had, I had a wonderful relationship with a boyfriend and it, we broke up. And in retrospect, I realized we broke up because of my PMDD. I went psycho on him and he couldn't handle it, which is fine. I don't think I could have handled it at that age and, and where I was in life. So it's fine. But after that happened, I threw myself into a mission of attracting my triple SMH and me and two other best friends were also on a mission to find our triple SMHs. So what did we do? We all read like the same books. We'd read a good, we'd read like some books, we'd share which one was the best one, and then we'd all read it. And believe it or not, within two years of reading these books, we all got married to our triple SMHs. So I'm going to discuss those books and what we learned from them. I'm just going to abbreviate them all. And I think this is great for people who are seeking a partner. And if you already have a partner, I think it's still good to hear this stuff because you can kind of reflect like where in your relationship are there areas that are incompatible and how can you fix them? So, yeah. Yeah. And this follows on from our interview that we did before with Sophia, Sophia, right. Where she Mm -hmm. talks about manifesting your dream, your dream man. I'm not going to talk so much about the manifesting aspect as, but more of the cognitive, intellectual, logical stuff. Sweet. Sweet. So it's a good good partnership. So it's a good partnership. So these are the different things I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the five languages of love, the five primal wounds, and also the deal makers and deal breakers you should be looking for. So the five languages of love, let's start with that. That's a book by Gary Chapman. And he talks about that we have like an emotional love tank. And if it's not full, 
then you feel like you're unloved. And those five languages are touch, verbal, meaning like praise, gifts, acts of service, and quality time. So it's important to recognize what is your primary love language. Like we need all of them. There's one that's going to be your primary one. And we're going to have a quiz in the show notes so you can find out what is your primary one or what is your partner's. But it's important. This is why I think it's so important. If you're dating, you need to know what is your primary language of love and what is their primary language of love? Because let's say your partner's primary language of love is touch, but you're from a culture or a family where like, you just don't touch people. And you need to recognize, look, if his language of love is touch and yours isn't, and you're not capable of changing for him, then you need to find someone else because it's not fair to him. Let's say, for example, your language of love is acts of service. So you need someone to do things for you. But the person that you're interested in is an heir and they've never worked a day in their life and they just sit off their income and spend their whole life on yachts and whatever be realistic. Yeah. They might give you all the riches in the world, but if your language of love is acts of service and they're not doing things for you, you're not going to feel loved. Yeah. So, so you need to just like recognize yeah. is your partner capable of providing you with the language of love? If not, are they willing to change? And are you also willing to change? Right. And so it's similar to if someone's language of love is they, they want to give quality time and the other person wants to receive being alone. It's literally like completely diametrically opposed. And like my husband's primary language of love is verbal. And I am the worst of all five of these. I am the worst at giving verbal, but I'm cognizant that he needs verbal as well as my sister. She's also verbal. So like every time I talk to my sister, I have this like buzzer that goes off on my brain before I hang up. And I'm like, did you compliment her in this conversation? Did you tell her what you love about her in this conversation? And I try to always end the conversation saying something loving to her because I know that that matters to her because she's verbal, even though I feel weird saying it because I'm not verbal and it feels like I'm fake. Like I'm like, I just want to let you know, I think you're a great mom. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm I'm sounding like a a freaking imposter. She likes it because that's her language. So like I'm getting over my imposter thing and I just do it. Does she know that before now? Does she no, know that? No, you- now that she listens to this, she's going to realize like Anna is cognizantly <laughs> trying to make sure that I feel loved, which is fine. I'm yeah. trying to make her feel loved. So, um, and because I'm not great at verbal, like for my husband, one birthday, I made like 52 cards, like one per week. And it was like a compliment and he could just open the card throughout the year and have a verbal compliment from me. So that was good. But anyways, the point is know your language of love, know their language of love. Make sure you can both give each other's language of love or you're going to have an empty tank. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add there? No, no. I I think that's great. It's funny. I I can't actually tell you what my language of love is. I think with my kids, it's physical. Like I want to give physical, but with Luke, it's different. It's like, it's funny because I've never been able to like pinpoint mine. I'm one of those people who like, I feel a bit like a chameleon and like, sometimes I like some things and sometimes I like other. Right. Can you be that person? You, you can kind of, I think this is what I think. I think you can kind of be all of them. And when you're with a person who doesn't give one, it stands out. Like I had a boyfriend who was not gifts. He was like everything but gifts. And like come my birthday, come Valentine's day, he gave me nothing. It drove me crazy that I started to think my language of love was gifts, but it actually isn't. My, my language of love is acts of service, but because I was so deficit in the language of gifts, I started to think that was it. 
So that makes perfect sense. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, so anyways, that, that's what Luke did. Uh, my husband did was he, when we were talking about it, he was like, I think your language of love is verbal. And I was like, you just think that because you don't give me verbal. So that's and, what you end up complaining about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and I used to think that my, I like to receive gifts, but that was because that was the only kind of love for a very long time that I did receive even though I had other needs. So for since it. you're an activity information sorter, which we address in a previous episode in the NLP episode, I would guess just knowing that your activity information sorter, that your language of love is acts of service and verbal. Yeah. I would just guess that. Yeah. Um, an important thing to know is that your child has not solidified languages of love yet. So just give, make sure you give all five to your kids. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. Going forward, we're going to go into the five major wounds and we're also going to have a quiz in the show notes. What is your primary wound? And those are betrayal, injustice, rejection, abandonment, humiliation. This is coming from a book called Know Yourself and Heal Your Wounds by Lise Burbeau. It is not a relationship book, but my own internal understanding, having been married now, is it's important that you know what your primary wound is with the primary wound of your husband and are they compatible? Now that sounds funny. Compatible wounds? Like what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> but here's what I mean. Dark and light. Love Here's what and I'm saying. <laughs> if you both have an injustice wound, that can lead to some incompatibility, incompatibility, because you're going to, when you think you're right and he's wrong and he thinks he's right and you're wrong, you're going to really butt heads. So two primary wounds of injustice are pretty hard. So it sounds, it's similar to that communication episode that we did before in which, um, what is it called? Uh, the fallacy, the perpetrator fallacy yeah, or the victim fallacy? Where you're always fallacy? the victim and you're always the victim. Uh, where one is always the per- victim and one is one always says, I'm always at fault. And then the other one says, you're always at fault. Right. Well, in this situation, if you both have an injustice wound, you're both going to be saying, you're both at fault. You're, you know, mm-hmm. the other one's at fault. So I think two people with an injustice wound is a bad combination. That's yep. my own my own insight. This is not from a book. I think two people with a betrayal wound, though, would go along great because they both are going to be really loyal to each other. Yeah, but they're also going to try and control each other. And if the other one doesn't do what the other one wants, then that's like... Yeah, that's, they both I mean, really value freedom. Being a betrayal wound person myself, actually, well, I, I like to say that I drink from all the cocktails of the wound. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but being that person myself, like I, I would say that like it's nice to have a partner. It's nice to have a partner who you can control. You have nice partner. <laughs> Did I actually just say that? No, uh, sorry, Luke. So okay, so uh, if you can control your partner, quote unquote, control him. What is his primary wound? So rejection. His his primary wound is rejection. Right. Or who's the fugitive who rejection rejection. So his primary wound is rejection and mine is betrayal. So then he just like, if I try to control him, then he just becomes fugitive. And then we don't actually have to have See, My husband (laughs) and I are a great combination because mine is abandonment wound, which makes me codependent his betrayal wound, which makes him controlling. So a, so a controller with the codependent is great. (laughs) (laughs) I will say this another, like I think two injustice wounds would be a hard combination. I also think that if you run abandonment and your partner runs rejection, that's a, not a great combination no, no. because abandonment people are afraid of the other person shutting them out and rejection people, when they cope with difficulty, they shut the other one out. So you're going to be getting shut out all the time. It'll be really hard, but then you have to also understand that every relationship brings with it challenges for you to look at your own shit and grow. So in some ways, if you have an abandonment wound and you get with someone with a rejection wound, they're going to pull your abandonment wound to the surface a lot. And if you're willing to do the work, it's great. If you kind of want an easy life and you don't want to be dealing with the shit storm of an abandonment wound every week, don't go with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like, 
you'll have an experience like with, with my husband and me, like it's a matter of like, uh, we don't have a lot of arguments. Like we don't actually fight, but what we do is we just like chase after each other, if that makes sense. Right. Like I'm always chasing after him to have the fight and he's always like, I don't want to have the fight. Right. But it's like, that's like part of his personality anyway. But you know, when you kind of come into those situations, like you, I don't know. You can, you can definitely get into a, a better place as soon as you recognize and stop chasing after the fight and start recognizing that you don't actually have to have a fight for, in my case, and he can recognize that maybe he actually does have something to say and he wants to have the fight. And so as, as we've progressed in our relationship, we actually have discussions and, and like he stands up for himself and I back down and I stop chasing him and chop, stop trying to chase the argument the same way. Right. So in summary, with this, just look at your five languages of love, see if you're compatible, see if you're willing to give what they need, see if they're willing to give what you need. And then also look at the five wounds, the five primal wounds, and just see like, are your wounds compatible with each other? And if not, what can you do to make them compatible? Because we're all flexible. We can learn. Just you have to know before you learn. That's exactly what I think is a really important takeaway from this. If you spend your entire time like inventorying people for like, what is their primary interest? Like, are they an information sorter? Does this compatible? Like, if you like, it's really, really good to see it, but I think it's good to see it so that you can expand yourself because if you're going to go around and like a lot of people already have laundry lists of things that they require in another person before they can be okay with it. But, but recognize that like you are the magnet of your experience. So the more that you open yourself up to all of the different things, and the more that you open yourself up to all the different polarities that could match with you, the more that that person is going to come and can be anything. Right. And you will still be compatible. Yes. Well, there's another great book called, are you the one for me by Barbara DeAngelis? And Mm -hmm. I'm going to go over, she has some really great points that I think people making vision boards about their partners should really take into account. I can't remember what she calls them, but I'm going to call them the deal makers and the deal breakers. So I think it's really important. If you're a person who has really rigid expectations of someone and you like expect this and expect that, and you want them to be this and be that, it's really important you have a deal a deal breaker list and just adhere to that and radically forgive everything else. Be like, these are the five things I cannot live with. And beyond that, I am going to forgive everything else. Because if you constantly think this person has to like the same politician that I like, this person has to not like football, this person has to do this, this person has to do that, their hair needs to be like this. Like if you have this huge laundry list of things, you are super demanding and that's not fair. You need to make your list of deal breakers and then radically forgive everything else. And similarly, if you're on the other side of the spectrum and you're a pushover and you let everyone do whatever they want and you're always apologizing and you're like always accommodating, you also need a deal breaker list because you need to say, these are like the five things I absolutely cannot tolerate and I will not nudge. If this person oversteps these five things, I'm out. Because the problem with being a pushover, which is on the other spectrum of being the controller, is you're constant, you're over forgiving, you're over accommodating. You need to have some, some, um, boundaries, boundaries. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm going to read you Barbara, Barbara DeAngelis's. She has, what is it? She has nine deal breakers. These are just the standard. And then my theory is these are like, you have the standard ones and then you need to come up with your own. Like, I think customize. I have, yeah. Then you make your own custom ones, you know? So, um, number one is addictions. Two is unresolved anger. Like everyone gets angry, but we're talking about like an angry person who's not dealing with their anger. Three is victim consciousness. Four is a control freak. 
Five is sexual dysfunction. Six is they've not grown up. Seven is they're emotionally unavailable. Eight is they've not recovered from past relationships. And nine, they are emotionally damaged from childhood. I want to put an asterisk on nine because we are all damaged from childhood. (laughs) But let's say that the person is doing the work. The person is doing the work to examine their damage, their how they've been damaged, and they're working on it. Like if they're committed to growth and looking at their shit, I don't think number nine is that much I of mean, a deal breaker. I actually think that's the case with almost all of these. Almost all of these is that if you are working on it, like someone who is an addict, like and is in recovery, they're well, still an addict be in recovery is different than a, someone actively an addict. Is yeah. I should like clarify, yeah. 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 Though, of course, we so, all again, we all have levels of addiction. Right. Most so likely. these are her standard deal breakers. And again, I'm going to put this in the show notes. Then I think it's important you come up with your own deal breakers. So like I have my own deal breakers. I have just about I have three deal breakers. What about you, Chris? Do you have any deal breakers? Uh, I, I haven't actually I could probably come up with them. But now that you're prompting this, then maybe I will do that. I Yeah. Go ahead with yours. And mine, then mine, my three are very silly, not silly. They're important to me. My deal breakers is number one, a fanatic of any sort, like, like a religious fanatic, just fanatic in general. Like I let's mostly religious or political fanatic is what I would say. Like yep. sucked in a cult. Yep. Um, number two is cheap. Like I have very, very low tolerance for people who are stingy or cheap, not just with money, but their time, their mm-hmm. affection. And number three, what was my third one? Oh, they shut me out when they're upset. And coming from the point of view as an abandonment person, like I know from reading men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that men like to go in their quote unquote cave. If they're emotionally upset, they need to retreat into their cave. And I get that. And that's that I respect that. But there are some men and probably women that when they're upset, they just completely shut you out. It's probably the fugitive rejection wound thing. I can't deal with that. From the abandonment point of view, I feel abandoned. It's too hard for me. Like I need someone that even if they're mad at me, I will rather they scream and yell at me than they shut me out. Like I will take, I need them to be, to participate in the relationship, even if they're mad at me, then shutting me out. I just can't deal with being shut out. So those are my three. Yeah. Okay. So I've thought of my three. Okay. Um, even though I was actually astutely listening to yours because you were prompting mine to come up yeah, with mine. You were doing mine reading. Or <laughs> <laughs> not mine reading. Uh, uh, rehearsing. Rehearsing. <laughs> rehearsing. Um, so my first one is a skeptic, like a true skeptic. Like Luke is a skeptic, but like he loves me and he appreciates it. And he's like, I've seen enough at this point that I can believe it. But someone who's just like never going to even bother listening to me about all of the crazy stuff that I can hear. I, I, I posted this thing on my uh, Instagram the other day because I found it on TikTok and it was about this woman who was like, you know, humans used to not be able to see the color blue. And, uh, and for, so when I say that, like, I'm dimension hopping and I'm doing all these, you know, I I can see your aura and I can go astral project and I can do all this kind of stuff. I'm not talking to mainstream people who can't see blue. I'm only talking to the people who can see blue. And even if my partner can't see the color blue, they have to be open to seeing the color blue. Or believe that you do see the color blue. Or believe that I see the color blue. So that would be one of mine. I love that one. Yeah. And then, then the other two are kind of the aspirations of the divine feminine, the divine masculine. I cannot stand it when people try and control my freedom whether it's through money or through something else when they're trying to control the output of what I can do is like total deal breaker I'm just like and then that's what happened we're gonna I think we're definitely gonna do a money episode here and how it relates to spirituality spirituality in a bit but for me I 
I'm a free spirit and my husband is a control, like when it comes to money and we had to come to a deal where I have a set amount of money, but especially cause I, I'm like the, I'm the technically the, the breadwinner in my family, but like where we have a set amount of money where no one can have any say over it. Right. Like you each get an allowance. Yeah. And that allowance is so important because I have to maintain my freedom in a monetary way. Like right. if he's going to budget, that's fine, but you don't touch this money because that kind of freedom, it was, it was a massive yeah, point you of contention. Spend $200 on lip gloss. I'm kidding. But like yeah. total freedom to do whatever. Yeah. And then in the same other way is like someone who withholds love. They say, I will love you if. Ugh. So those are my yeah. three. I love that. I mean, I love your deal breakers. Thank you. Okay. So now I don't remember what she calls these in the book, Barbara DeAngelis, but I'm going to call them your deal makers. So these are the five standard things your partner needs to have. And then I made my own five deal break, uh, deal makers, which I put on a vision board and I ended up getting the husband that I wanted and he had all of them. Anyways, her ba- basic deal makers. Oh, there's actually six are one committed to personal self-growth. Two, emotional openness. Three, integrity. Four, mature and responsible. Five, high self-esteem. Let's say healthy self-esteem because high self-esteem could be, eh. Yeah. Yeah. And six, positive attitude towards life. Mm-hmm. Those are all good. Again, they're going to be in the show notes. I made my own, which I put on a board in addition to these. And the first one was, and I think it was a brilliant thing to put on my vision board. Number one was spiritual and happy. And the reason why I put spiritual and happy was I was unconcerned if whoever I married was Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, non-denominational, atheist, whatever. If they were happy, I knew that whatever technique they were using was working. Mm-hmm. So I put number one, spiritual and happy, because to me that just kept everything wide open. But it made sure I attracted someone who, who was using a technique that worked for them. Yep. That's awesome. So that was a really, really smart one on my part. Yep. The other two, the other five on my vision board, I don't know, do I, should I share them? I don't think it matters too much or would it help people? I mean, give a couple, give a couple. One was, um, handsome and attractive to me. Like I put handsome and attractive to me. Like it didn't matter to me if they were handsome and attractive by societal standards, Mm -hmm. which my husband is, but it was more important that I just, I designate, like they need to be a handsome and attractive to me. Yep. And, and I didn't care what other people thought. Yep. The other one was successful and generous. Mm -hmm. Because not because I'm like super materialistic and he needs to be successful and da da da. It was more like, a man who is successful is a happy man who has committed to success and growth and hard work. So th- it was like the values behind success was what I was looking for yeah. so much as like, you know, he's this, he's that. Um, I'm trying to think what else was on there. Oh, I think the last one was like loves me loves me completely, like loves me completely and unconditionally. And my husband definitely does. Like he does. So my husband loves me so much. I just love this story. And I want to share it. Like how number five manifests in reality. Like I'm the chef in the family. I make 99% of all the food in the house with the exception of like toast. I make it all. And I take great pride in my cooking. And the one thing I do not know how to make is coffee. So every night my husband preps the coffee maker. And one morning he forgot to do it, but I really wanted my coffee. And I like woke him up and I'm like, I'm really sorry, but 
I'm really sorry to disturb your sleep, which is really important to him, but like you didn't make the coffee last night and I really want coffee. He's like, babe, it's my greatest pleasure in life to make you happy. I will make that coffee. You can always wake me up for your coffee. And he like came downstairs (laughs) and prepped the coffee. And it was just such a mundane, like little moment in the morning, but it was so special to me. Like that was my vision board coming to life. Like he loved me so much that he loves making me coffee at 5 a.m. Because you're an acts of service gal. Oh yeah, and I'm acts of service, so there you go. Those are my deal makers with my additional deal makers. And yeah, I think it's important to know what you want. Yeah. So what are some of your deal makers? So it's interesting you say that because I am a passive in NLP. We talked about passive and active. I am a passive, I think we did, right? Did we actually cover that? Yeah, anyway, we did. if we, I'll, I'll give us some quickly. We did, and it's in one of the previous episodes. An active person is someone who goes and just like actively participates in the world and a passive person is someone who just kind of waits for things to come to them. In relationships, I have 100% always been a passive person. Like things have just, this sounds maybe a little bit terrible, but like I've just kind of fallen into relationships even when I didn't necessarily want to. I'm almost like a pushover in the sense of like if someone's really wanting, like a great example is like I didn't want to date a guy who I ended up dating for five years. And then when I finally tried to break up with them, they were like, no. And it took me like weeks to recognize that I didn't matter if they didn't want to break up with me. Like, I, I know that sounds almost abusive and it maybe was. Um, that was a while ago. It was my mother relationship, as I call it, as in like it was he was like your mother. He was like my mother. He was always sick and he was. Yeah. So I've been very passive with relationships. But one of the things that I would say would be a deal maker for me is that when I first got together with Luke, we were exactly matched in the way that we needed to be. So whatever my wounds were at the time, he accommodated. So I was, I'm still controlling, but I was very controlling back then. And he was, and he like, just loved me no matter what, like no matter how crazy I was or no matter, I mean, I even told him, he, he wrote a song about it. Actually. I told him about how I was just like, you don't want to deal with me. Like I just got out of this long relationship and I have so many issues. You don't want to. And he was just so persistent. And he was just like, no, he just like, he told me that he fell in love with me at first sound. So when I first talked to him, like the, he didn't see me, he heard me. And, um, of course I don't think he remembers that now. I always remember that, (laughs) but the whole idea being that like he was persistent and at the time I could control him and he was so devoted to me that he didn't really care. And as our relationship has progressed, it's become so much more equal in the way that, that like we're both spiritually, you know, progressing and the way that we are developed or whatever you want to say, like our spiritual things, as well as like the way we want to raise our kids. It's just like one of those things that the only deal maker that I would say is that they're willing to grow with you. I love that. I love that. So in summary, we've talked about, um, the five languages of love, the five primary wounds, your deal breakers. You have your standard list, which will be in the show notes. And then you need to make your own list. You got your deal breaker list again, the basics, and then you make your own. But here's the most important part, which I want to throw in two things. One shit's going to happen anyways. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about a relationship is it helps see where you are stuck. So when things happen in the relationship, always ask yourself, or this is my advice, like, 
how am I showing up? Am I being the person I want to be in a relationship? Because it's so easy when things, when the shit hits the fan to think it's the other person's fault and look at all their faults and how do they need to change? I think it's so important to just keep asking yourself over and over again, who am I? How am I showing up? Am I being the person I want to be? Would I want to be with me? And that's super important because we get so caught up in like, what can this person give me? And then the second thing I want to say is you make your list you adhere to your deal breakers and your deal makers, and then you radically forgive everything else. No one is perfect. The best example I have that I joke with my friends is if I had married Buddha, I would have been so annoyed. That man spends all day talking to everybody else and he ignores me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was married, another perfect man, let's say is Jesus, I'd be like, oh my gosh, he spends all day baptizing other people. Doesn't he care about his wife? The point is you could be married to the perfect man Mm -hmm. and you will find fault because the fault finding belongs to the fault finder. Okay. The criticism belongs to the criticizer. Yep. And I think it's super important to just radically forgive. You have your standards and then beyond that, let it go. Radically forgive. Remember your partner is not perfect. Your partner has come on earth to learn lessons and they are imperfect and they're going to fuck up and they're going to say things they don't mean when they're upset. And you just keep forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. Like one of the best practices you can do is wake up every morning, just radically forgive everything they did to you, quote to you. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, um, one of the things that you told me ages ago, which I think one of your friends told you, Sagrario, um, was that how you can tell if you are coming from a place of wounds or if you're coming from a place of just like general, she calls it coming from the whole, your W H O L E, like your wholeness versus coming from your whole, meaning your H O L E, like something lacking in you. Yeah. Is the, it's this idea that as soon as specificity comes into this, the equation, if you have a requirement of someone, if you're telling someone something like, uh, it, you didn't, uh, you didn't wash my dish, you didn't wash my dish or you left your dish out on the table and it da 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 da. Like you, you're, it's like, as soon as you start getting incredibly specific about your requirements of what is required for you to be happy, for you to have acceptance, for you to be okay, then you know that you're coming from your whole as in your H O L E. Right. So the way that Sagrario put it, which I love is, Specific requests are coming from the whole, H-O-L-E. Mm-hmm. And general requests are coming from the whole, W-H-O-L-E. Yeah. Like, I need him to bring me flowers on Valentine's Day. That's specific. That's a wound. A general request is, I need to feel loved mm-hmm. on Valentine's Day. Or forget the Valentine's Day. That's specific. Yeah, I, just, I just need to be feel loved. Yeah. And then you look at that. And are you getting it? Don't you know? Are you mm-hmm. getting the general? You don't need the specific. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Because like, it's funny because you were just saying that and I was thinking of another deal breaker was for me promises broken. And I was like, that's so specific. I was like, that's totally coming that for me, my deal breaker and that particular one, which I didn't mention earlier, but I was just thinking of it was like, because it's so specific, because it's happened to me. I was like, it happened to me when I was a kid. And therefore I know that I don't want that to happen to me now. And it just like, I'm just like, oh, okay, that's coming from the yeah. HOLE. We should yeah. probably say that whatever you have on your deal breaker list is probably a reflection of some wounds, wounds that need to be healed, but also have your standards. I mean, yeah. you have to have standards. Yeah. I would say that half of mine did, half of mine didn't. Cause like the other half, like 
wanting to be loved unconditionally, like it's on both of our lists, right? Like mine's on the deal breaker, yours on the deal maker. That is an aspirational general thing. That's like a thing that says like, if you are seeing the world as limited and therefore you have a scarcity of love to give, then maybe we're not in the same place and we don't want to be in the same thing. So like, I feel like that's more of a general thing. You could have general and you could have specific deal deal breakers and makers. So in conclusion, check out the show notes. We'll have lists here for anyone who is single looking for their perfect mate. This list should help. And then if you already are in a relationship, hopefully you can still make your deal breaker, deal maker list and practice radical forgiveness. Yep. Yep. And if you're not looking for that person, then... Good on you. Just yeah. have the experience oh, with the yourself. Way, in the end, it's all you anyways. That's yeah. the joke. Well, that that's the funny thing, right? Because I was just thinking, it's like, if you weren't interested in having a relationship like that, then you can start to look at your friends' relationships. You can start to look at all these other things, right, that you have. But you can also recognize that you have them in yourself. So like self-love. I have deal breakers and deal makers on when I'm going to choose to love myself. Like 100%. And I actually think that I need to get rid of those in that particular case, right? Because like, it can't be that like, okay, Christina, you're okay. But as soon as you yell at your kids, you're totally out in the doghouse. Like, and I'll be out in the doghouse for days. I think you're the same way. Right. So it's like, okay, let's forgive ourselves for all the things that we have and show self love. And then we can start to recognize when there is a, there will be a place and a time in which everything makes the deal. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We hope that you enjoyed yourself. If you like us, please rate and review on Apple or wherever you get your podcast because that is what helps people find us. Thanks so much and have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.